Hello, I'm Greg Howard Jr. and this is Don't Make This Weird, the podcast. Each week I invite a special guest to talk about their life, news, politics, and anything else that may come up. Head over to the Patreon where you'll get the random questions game, a secret from my guest. You get some merch for being a loyal patron and you get this whole episode uncut and without this bit about joining the Patreon. So head over to patreon.com forward slash springbreak83 productions to join now. This week, I sat down with the brilliant Lauren Ashley. All right, so I am here with the incredibly brilliant Lauren Ashley. Um, congratulations on your recent graduation, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so let's start out. You, much like myself, are a member of the John Ossoff Thirst Club. <laughs> um, what is it about him? I've been trying to think about this. I saw like a couple of people say he has like a Clark Kent thing going for him, like a Superman thing. But I don't find Clark Kent attractive. So I don't think that's it. I think it's something different. And a couple of our Jewish friends have suggested it's, he's got like a, a nerdy Jewish guy thing going and that that's, I don't know that there's some magnetism coming from that. And I, I'm wondering, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can, I can, I can see that. Like the, you know, the hot nerdy, like Jewish math tutor. Yeah. Like, like you can tell he's like, um, he's the type of guy that your parents would be like, pick him. Pick yes. him. He's a good one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he's married to a doctor, which is, damn i mean honestly i've said it before i i feel bad for her because the thirst squad is like yeah <laughs> all over her husband i would not be able to handle that i wouldn't at all it, it it takes a very secure type of person to be able to like be in a relationship with someone who has gone from pretty much anonymity to this like nerdy sex symbol almost i i'm not that type of person um <laughs> but you know what big up to her big up to dr alicia i mean yeah i'm also not that type of person and i mean he's also very aware that the third squad exists as we've seen from his tip top his tiktoks that uh what did he say in the one? Oh lord that's been playing in my head like a little bit yeah right <laughs> So who else do you think is, who, who are the other hotties of the Democratic Party? Swalwell. Yes. Especially when he's got the beard. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. I don't know why I can't remember his name, but the really handsome representative from Hawaii. Yes. Um, oh, my God. I wish I could. I should have looked up his name before. I cannot remember his name. Yes. Shit. I can't remember his name either, but oh he God. is, he is, that's a tall drink of water. Mm-hmm. And there's like the underlying theme is that these men happen to be very unproblematic. I've noticed. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm sure that we are attracted to people who are not like 
issues to begin with, but that's definitely a trend. These are the solid Democrats, not crapping on the party, not stirring up shit. Yeah. I think we need to add um, Hakeem Jeffries as well. Oh my God. How did I forget about Hakeem? Yes. Yes, That's (laughs) absolutely. And with that, um, with that accent. Yes. And also, do you, do you know, who's also quite handsome? His brother. So after a couple of people were like, you know, representative Jeffries, but y'all need to look at his brother and he's brilliant. Oh yeah. Like, like they came from like a really strong gene pool. Like that's, that's a gorgeous family. That's a gorgeous family. Both of those men look like they smell expensive. <laughs> we know that they bathe. Yes. <laughs> There's no question about their showering habits. I am so sure. I am so sure. Uh, Hakeem's wife, she's another one who I feel really bad for because his third squad is probably stronger than Ossoff's, honestly, I think. Um, oh, absolutely. Especially after the um, impeachment proceedings. Oh, yeah. Where, I mean, he brought the fire. So, yeah. <laughs> And you know what? There's there's something very sexy about a man who is well spoken, mm-hmm. like, and I don't. I could listen to that man talk all day. Like, oh, yeah. it's like it's a combination of like intelligence, being well spoken, and also as you're being well as you're well spoken, like not being full of shit. Right. Those three things together. Because we, I mean, like we've seen plenty of people who, I don't know why, ugh, I have, what's his face? Paul Ryan's face in my head right now. I cannot, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm remembering when all of these uh, white female journalists were trying to get us to be attracted to that. And I'm like, he's, a, he looks like a goofball. When he opens his mouth, he's not persuading you to agree with him in any kind of way, shape or form. And then also like the personality shines through and it's not great at all, but he does P90X. Okay. Like my neighbor does P90X. I'm I'm not attracted (laughs) to my neighbor. Like, yeah, exactly. Just, just because, you know, somebody works out that doesn't make them like, you know, rep Swalwell, rep Jeffries, you know, Senator Ossoff, Senator Warnock, mm-hmm. they all look, wear the hell out of a suit. The, oh my God. Those men, those men have some great tailors. Yeah. Like, you know, even President Biden wears the hell out of a suit. But like, you look at the men on the Republican side, you know, Paul Ryan, um, DJ DUI, Matty Gates, like, <laughs> you know, just, ill-fitting like Mm -hmm. they look like they're wearing their dad's suits to first communion like it's just that's a thing that I've definitely noticed and I mean I know that we're the party that has like the action that has actual morals but the fact that none of them know how to dress is just it's a little baffling to me yeah Like, like yeah, like you said, like walking around in daddy's suit. That's exactly what it is. I mean, what's his face? Paul Ryan is like Eddie Munster or something. Exactly, exactly. Um, so while we're on the subject of um, political figures, 
Uh, I've got a letter from a listener. It comes to us from Carrie in Ohio. Um, and she would like to know who you think are the most underrated members of the House and the Senate. I mean, not to keep going, blowing the Ossoff horn, but he... I think he's one. I mean, we pay a lot of attention to him, but I don't think the mainstream media pays like anywhere near as much attention. My brother and I were talking the other day about the bill that he just introduced and how even though the Republicans are clearly not going to let it pass, it's very important. So you have someone who's actually taking steps to do things. And as he says in the, um, in the video that he put out the other day, there is no law on the books saying that we have a constitutional right to vote, which right. is the most absurd. I mean, it's not really absurd when you think about how this country was you know, founded and everything. But yeah, so the fact that he's taking the time to sit and write this legislation, it's important, but he's not the type of person who's getting coverage. And I mean, I feel like it's kind of, kind of low hanging fruit, but it just makes me think of Elizabeth Warren and how you're constantly hearing her name and seeing her face. And she's constantly, um, I mean, she's not as bad as those members of the house, but constantly saying, well, we need to do something. And it's like, okay, weren't you elected to write laws? That's like a big problem. With the house, I'm inclined to say, because we're all inclined to say Lauren Underwood, but it seems she's, finally, she's finally getting her shine. But it's still not enough. Like just the other day, I'm scrolling on Twitter and I guess CNN, they're doing a profile of Miss Always on Camera. Why? What has she done? I don't remember the exact numbers of like the effectiveness ranking from the house, but Lauren Underwood was near the top and she was near the bottom. And it's not a matter of how much time they've been in this in the house because they came in, they came in in the same class, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, they're, so they're part of the same class. Yeah. There's like literally no excuse. Um, yeah, she's the one who like just sticks in my mind because every single time, like every single time I log into Twitter, she's doing something and it's not um i think chantelle brown made the comment about i think she was talking about she's talking about cory bush just yes in about activism and like mm -hmm. that's the thing it's like we have these members of the house who are activists but don't seem to understand that that's not their job like your job is to actually write laws and get things done you laying on the steps of the Capitol is completely asinine when you're the person with the power to actually do something. And it completely deflects attention from the fact that you're not trying to do anything. But I mean, that's their um, magic grandpa's playbook. So they're just following it. Yeah. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention also um, Sharice Davids. Absolutely. Is somebody who is underrated and i i feel like um maxine waters doesn't get the credit she deserves for mm -hmm. like how much she actually gets done oh yeah like she's you know she wrote legislation about the eviction moratorium she's mm -hmm. written legislation about student loans like she's written mm -hmm. legislation about all this stuff you know um so for me, 
in addition to um, Lauren Underwood, it's got to be those two as well. I I 100% agree. And you made me think about how just the other day I was talking to my brother and he's, I mean, he's a Democrat, but he's not obsessed with politics like us. He's like a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking about Cori Bush and her camping out with her Cheetos on the steps and everything. And he's like, well, she got it done though. And I was like, dude, no, that was not her work. Right. That's the problem. And I think that reflects exactly what you just said. The people who are the behind the scenes actually writing the laws, they're not then getting the credit because you have a grandstander coming in at the 11th hour. And then that's the last person people see before something gets announced. So, oh my God, they must've done it because that's how Congress works. Yeah, it's, it's, it reminds me a lot of like working on a group project where there's always like those one or two people who are, you know, never available to meet up at the library to work on it. But then, you know, the day of the project, they're right there front and center, like they've done all this work. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren is another one who's good for that because anytime something happens, she'll show up on Twitter and talk about everything that she's done to get this to happen and it's like but you know why why are you not at all these signings like it's it's never the most vocal people who are there with the president vice president like Mm -hmm. you at every one of these signings it's always you know nancy pelosi amy klobuchar the vice president Mm -hmm. the president you know and like the president um I don't know if it was like last month, it was a little while back when he gave Lauren Underwood like a direct shout out because she's actually doing the work. And we, you can see that the members of Congress and the members of Congress who are there, I don't know, for clout and for attention, that it grates on their nerves, that they're not on the inside. But it seems to me that they don't understand that to be on the inside, you have to actually be doing something. Going on Twitter as a congressperson is not doing anything. People like regular people like us going on Twitter to, I don't know, combat combat lies that are being told about the party or spread information to people who like might not get it. Like that's the kind of thing that like we people, we the people, who are not actually in the room where it happens. That's the kind of work that we're supposed to be doing. That's actual work for us, even though I know it's like, I don't know, it'll say like hashtag activism. If like all you're doing is yelling at people on Twitter, sure. But I know that everyone's doing like more than that and doing things like outside of Twitter. But to have members of Congress who think that, I don't know, who think that that's their job, it's, irritating the fact that the media doesn't push back on that I I don't I mean we know that we have an issue with the media a really terrible issue particularly with the both sidesism yeah always both sizing absolutely everything like oh 500,000 people died under this man's watch but shouldn't we give him credit for the vaccine no what are you talking about and then oh well Biden Harris, they haven't really, they haven't accomplished as much as they'd like to. And I'm like, they inherited a dumpster fire. The fact that they've gotten as many people vaccinated as they have is honestly a miracle. But um, yeah, the media is not helping with any of that. 
and with having these very conspicuous people who, I mean, girl, I don't care about your makeup routine. <laughs> I care about what <laughs> I care about what you're doing for us in Congress. Like, I, I don't know. I, I know that we have like a couple of friends on Twitter who are in her district. I feel for them. I feel for them so badly. Like my representative is, is Brian Higgins and he has been focused on since Buffalo is literally the border, Buffalo Niagara is the border on getting the border open and it's opening. So I'm happy and I'm pleased with the fact that I have a congressman who's actually doing work, but with always on camera and her little friends, the people who are represented by them, I really feel for them, particularly when the media seems, um, what's the word? I don't even want, the media seems hell bent on propping those kinds of antics up without questioning what these people are actually doing. I mean, you're getting paid six figures to do what? Well, and there's a lot of, you know, like you said, that the media is propping up their antics because, you know, they go on these shows and they spout, you know, Republican talking points about the party that they're supposed to belong to. Mm-hmm. And then those clips end up in Republican attack ads. A hundred percent. Like, you know, the other day, Cori Bush went on national television and said, it's time to, you know, suck it up and defund the police. Well, that clip is everywhere on GOP Twitter now. Like, you know, it's everywhere on all GOP social media, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like during the general when Bernie Sanders and AOC and Nina Turner's faces were all over the mailers and the ads from Republicans. Like, you know, if you're going to be a part of the party, mm-hmm. stick to the party messaging because otherwise you're fucking over people who are not in safe seats. Yeah, it's, it seems to be all about ego. And I know that with like um, the justice Dems or whatever the hell they are, that was their mission statement was basically that they were going to hijack the Democratic Party. And so you see Cori Bush going on TV, making the most asinine statement while saying, well, yeah, I need private security. Who cares about everybody else? (laughs) And it's a really weird thing where all they care about is winning and somehow proving that they're right, but they consistently lose. So if your methods are not actually working, what are you more than a chaos agent? Like that's literally their only function. And the defund the police thing, I mean, it makes me want to scream. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It makes me want to scream, particularly when, I mean, effectively, Cori Bush, she is, she's their token black. She's their token African-American specifically. She does not reflect what African-American community actually wants and has been asking for. So, I mean, I grew up in like one of the nicer parts of Buffalo, but at the same time, 
I spent most of my time because I was raised by a single parent at my grandmother's house. My grandmother lives in the hood. And before we even moved into the neighborhood that I grew up in, we lived in the hood. The reason we moved is because there was a drive-by next door um, and our neighbors would have been dead had they been home. They shot like straight into the living room. This is in like um, mid to late 90s. The issue, and I understood this as a small child at that time, and Cori Bush is like 10 years older than me or something, so she really doesn't have an excuse. I understood at that time as a little kid who was told I had to leave the neighborhood that I loved because it was dangerous was, well, we can't count on the police to come. They don't come when they need to come. Um, even before that happened, we'd been robbed. Um, it's, the black community has been saying for decades that we're just being ignored. That's been the issue. Number one, that we're being ignored. And number two, that the police officers who do show up are the ones who treat us like we're less than human. It has never been, oh, we don't want police. We've never asked for that at all. And I said something, I tweeted something last night because it was getting really frustrating because there was, there was a white woman who was trying to explain to two black men that, well, that's not what defund the police means. And I'm like, okay, who's the, who are the people who have to worry about being shot by cops? Not you, lady, not you. So that's number one. <laughs> number two, we have a literal Black Panther on Twitter, very intelligent woman, Miss Denise. She's brilliant. Uh, iconic. I mean, the woman's in the Smithsonian. Come on. Yeah. And she's been repeatedly explaining to us about the Black Panthers messaging, the party's messaging, and saying like, okay, so what we said back in the day was police the police. Well, that's clearly what everyone is asking for right now. I mean, by clearly, I mean, the people actually being affected, not the far left. I don't even know what the hell they want. Because there's the ones who say, well, that's not what we mean by defund. We mean reallocate funds. And it's like, okay, well, that's actually not what that word means, but whatever. Um, I think most of us agree about putting more money into, about putting money into other social services and not sending the cops every time anything happens, like with mental health issues or yeah, incidents related to that. But then at the same time, the other half of them are saying, oh yeah, no, we really do need defund the police. Also, let's get rid of prisons. Like, what? <laughs> your messaging is sloppy. It's not effective. If you're actually listening to Black people, you know, the people who are in danger, um, we're telling you that that's not what we want. And they continue to just keep pushing it. And when you have these... The most frustrating for me is like the Cori Bushes and the Nina Turners. Seeing Black women parroting stuff that, okay, you come from the Black community. You know damn well that that's not what the people in the community are asking for. And you're allowing yourself to be used to legitimize the co-opting of a movement that we were actually finally getting support from. Up until the defund the police stuff started happening, there were white people who were Republicans who never listened to us before, but when they saw what happened to George Floyd, they were like, wait a minute, something's wrong. We need to do something. This needs to change. And we're start, finally starting to have a conversation and then all of a sudden defund the police. Those people get scared off. And even if you, well, you know, well, does that mean that they were really committed to the movement? I'm like, they were committed to, their eyes were finally open. And because you're so stubborn and so stuck on this messaging that isn't working, you scared them off. 
I don't know who needs to hear this, but yeah, we do need those Republicans on board. I mean, we see this in Congress. If we don't have Republicans on board, so long as we're in the minor, well, we have a technical majority, but we can't get anything done without them. Like we're stuck. I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and, and you make a good point because, you know, the um, abolish the filibuster movement is particularly strong right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, I would absolutely love let's get rid of the filibuster. We can't do that without Republican support. Like, you know, you can't just expect like the president to go in and write an executive order mm-hmm. or, you know, you can't expect the vice president to walk into the Senate chamber and override the parliamentarian. Like mm-hmm. there, there are procedures and, you know, there are rules for a reason. Like mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, we'd be well and truly fucked. Like, <clears throat> so um, we've been speaking a lot about um, Nina Turner um, and that actually brings us to our next topic, which is uh, the nationalization of local races. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, a lot of people who do not live in Ohio's 11th congressional district are really upset with how this turned out um, mm-hmm. in favor of Chantel Brown, who, you know, I'm not a resident of Ohio 11. I sent Chantel money because she was a candidate that I liked what she had to say. So she Mm -hmm. got my support. And um, we're seeing a lot of it now that um, Connor Lamb has entered uh, the Pennsylvania Senate race. Um, There has now become three separate camps. Mm -hmm. You know, the vigilante Shrek camp, the Kenyatta (laughs) camp, and the Lamb camp. I'm team Connor and Malcolm, you know, like I, I posted on Twitter earlier, I don't live in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I can, I can support both of those men because I don't have to make that choice either. Mm-hmm. I'm good with either one of them. Um, so, and I guess a lot of it, because you are a New Yorker and a lot of people have very strong opinions about your governor who is embroiled in some shit right now. Um, Yeah. You know, but there's also a lot of people outside of New York city um, who had very strong opinions on the mayoral race. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like the nationalization of local races is a problem right now? So I think it's good that people are interested in what's happening outside of like their own neck of the woods. It helps. Um, I think it helps to know that there are people who are actually paying attention to things that are going on outside. But at the same time, when it comes to local races that are local, local, local versus um, congressional races, two different things. With respect to the congressional races, I think it's good that there are people who are listening to people on the ground, listening to people like from Ohio, hearing what they have to say, 
um, listening to people who live there and actually know what the issues are, who the candidates are, and then following their lead and supporting them. That's good. Following your magic grandpa's poster girl because she's his girl and saying, well, this is the person who has to be here. I don't care what these people have to say. I refuse to listen to them. And now that they voted against her, I think they're stupid and low information. That's a really big problem. And that's that like that's a problem that we're having a lot. And I you mentioned like the um God, like with vigilante Shrek we're seeing like the exact same thing happen. Someone this morning on Twitter was saying, it's really interesting how you have a progressive candidate who didn't chase a black man with a loaded gun. Um, Cause like you have Connor Lamb, but then you have Malcolm. It's like, okay, if you're a progressive, why are you not going for the guy who, you know, didn't commit a crime. He wasn't charged, but he committed a crime. Um, you're not going for him, but you're going for Fetterman. And it's because you're fixated on this person you don't care about the pe- what the people who live there actually want. You don't even care whether or not the person that you're supporting, I hate the word problematic, but I can't think of any other word to use. Like they don't even care that person is problematic. And for me, honestly, from what I've seen from the anti-blackness that's like very, very prevalent on the left and also the anti-Semitism, those two things tend to travel together. It's just, we want what we want for us. We don't care about the people on the ground. We don't care about marginalized groups that are being adversely affected. We don't care that having a representative who, having a white man, a giant white man who is who thinks it's his duty to chase down unarmed black people with a loaded gun. We don't think that's a problem because we like that guy. That line of thinking is really dangerous and it seems to be growing so much on the far left. I will say that like for regular, regular, regular Democrats, I've seen, I mean, I know like in the K-Hive, there's like kind of a split <laughs> yeah. with Malcolm and Connor. But at the same time, it seems to me that everyone pretty much liked Malcolm. Like, I don't think anyone dislikes Malcolm. It's just that people are questioning some strategic moves that he's made, like with respect to maybe aligning with, I don't know, people like Cori Bush or appearing to align with them, even if he doesn't. Um, I'm like you. I think he's a good guy. I like him a lot. There were some things like within the past couple months where I was like, oh, okay, you're going to kind of further left for me. But at the same time, I don't live there. So I'm listening to people who do live there and who they think has the best chance of winning and looking out for their interests. And I will take their lead. But um, I think Tiff said earlier today, like the goal is not have vigilante shrek period the end yeah like (laughs) that's it yeah you're connor you're malcolm whatever but like vigilante shrek no on the other hand on the other end with like fixation on local races that are not related to congress like um new york city's mayoral race i've always said like that's a downstate problem i (laughs) if something was happening in rochester or syracuse i'd be more inclined to feel strongly about it because they're close to me but that's a downstate issue. Um, I've, I'm glad for them that they didn't end up with Yang, who would have been a disaster, as he proved time and again. But at the same time, that's not my business. So even though I had opinions, um, I stayed out of that. Because at the end of the day, that's a local race that doesn't affect me. With the stuff that's happening with Cuomo, 
there are people who have very strong opinions, but they're not New Yorkers. And it's like, you can have an opinion about this man did something wrong. Like, yes, you can have an opinion about that. You can have an opinion about, I feel bad for the victims. But to say, well, this is what New York needs to do right now. You're not a New Yorker. You don't know what we need. You don't know the crap that we've been dealing with in our state. And like for me specifically, the lack of stability from the, from, from the governor's office, that's all that I've known as an adult. And it's been awful. I mean, we had 10 years of Pataki, who was a, who was a Republican. So we had 10 years, 10 solid years of a Republican governor. That was my childhood. And then I turn 18 and we get Elliot Spitzer and he's the guy. He's brilliant. He's a prosecutor. He's strong. He's smart. And I had a lot of my little students for Spitzer button. I'm like, okay, this is like, I'm, I'm 18 and this guy's going to be my governor. And he wins. And then just, I, I, I don't have words for it because I'm still very upset with what happened, but I guess my point is that like time and again, we've had these Democrats then come in and let us down. So to have people say, well, then you guys need to go with Tish James or you need to do this or you need to do that. It's like, you don't live here. You don't live here. You have absolutely no idea. The fact that we don't have stability in the governor's office right now, particularly with COVID. And then for me living in a border city, like not having like anything, like not having solid guidance from the governor's office with respect to things that are happening up here it's it's maddening and so then to have outside people coming in with their two cents like dude that doesn't affect you at all it's not like Ron DeSantis basically killing his constituents that's completely different so yeah I don't know if that answers your question I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no no it was good to hear the rest of my conversation with Lauren Ashley stick around for part two If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. If you didn't enjoy this episode, why the fuck are you even still here? If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at don'tmakethisweirdpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sb83productions, on Instagram at springbreak83productions. Don't Make This Weird is a Spring Break 83 production.